What is up, everybody, and welcome into the DNVR Nuggets podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. You can download the app right now, right onto your phone. In fact, you should, using promo code DNVR. Obviously, the Super Bowl's coming up, but also our pregame shows. If you aren't familiar, we do live pregame shows up on our YouTube channel. We always open up the app and take a cool look at the bets, and it always makes for a fun viewing experience. Um, so you're going to want to do that. DraftKings Sportsbook presenting sponsor. Today's episode of the show... I'm Adam Matas. I'm going solo today as I um, answer some mailbag questions. We haven't done a mailbag in a really long time. And I was thinking about doing the, the show, and usually this would be a notebook episode. I went ahead and did a notebook episode over on Locked On Nuggets, so you're going to want to check that one out if you want to you know, catch up on my detailed thoughts about the game against Miami. There were some really interesting ones in there. I'll probably refer to that episode uh, you know, throughout this show, but you might want to check that one out. But when I put out a call on social media today for um, mailbag questions, I got a lot of really great ones, so I'm really excited about it. Um, a lot of you guys had questions that I think are very interesting that really I hadn't thought to even bring up on, on the show and talk about. So um, without further ado, we're going to dive right in. And of course, tomorrow, the whole gang will be back tomorrow for a hopefully a winner's lounge, but for a post-game wrap-up show that'll be live on YouTube and also right here as a podcast. Um, number one from this comes from Howard Baker's ghost. Why does it feel like we never run plays for Michael Porter Jr.? Can we not create some sort of three-man offense with him, Yoke, and, and Maul instead of go always going to the two-man? And I get this question from a bunch of people in some form or another, and I actually have extremely strong opinions about this one. Number one, Denver's offense will evolve over time so that they will run more actions that are geared towards Michael Porter. That is that is a fact. He's a good, talented enough player that will happen. But what I think people don't realize is that a, some of, and I think a larger percentage of, the reason Michael Porter does not receive the ball in scoring position within the flow of the offense is as much to do with Michael Porter as it is about Jokic. People find this interesting. How many isolation plays do the Nuggets run for Michael Porter? The answer is not many. They run plays that get him the ball in the post, and they run a lot of actions that naturally wind up with him in the post, but they don't call a lot of plays that are like, everybody clear out, Jokic is about to do a post-up. The same is true of of Jamal Murray. How many plays do they call where it's like, let's get Murray the ball in this spot and everybody clear out? Almost none. They have like a couple plays, set plays, usually for end of game or end of clock or out of bounds or whatever, plays like that. But in terms of their offense, Denver tries to run a continuity offense. And that offense is a very equal opportunity offense, even if it does sort of favor Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. One of the reasons it favors them is they're the best at capitalizing on it. What happens with Michael Porter, and hopefully if you're a member of DNVR, you can check out the list. And, and hopefully I've done a nice job of highlighting some of the different areas and will continue to even key in on this very thing because I, I, I want people to really understand it. The areas where Michael Porter just doesn't read the court very well. And this isn't a knock on him. He's a young player. He is learning to read the court, learning to find where does the offense naturally allow for me to sort of insert myself into it and receive the ball. And right now he doesn't do a very good job of that. And the team and his teammates, his own teammates, don't really trust him to do it you know, too frequently. But I don't think Denver needs to trade, change their offense. I think that he needs to learn those spots and, and they need to get more into it. What I mean by that is you know, Will Barton finds himself in isolation sometimes. I know this because I see every time it happens, a host of people uh, tweet at me saying Barton going one-on-one -on -one again. Well, those plays aren't Barton calls. They're not plays where Barton goes and hijacks the offense saying, give the ball, everybody get out of my way. They're plays within a natural flow of the offense that lend itself to where one of many options is for him to go one-on-one. -on -one. The same is going to be true for Jamal Murray. Same is true for Michael Porter. And I talked about this with like Paul Millsap and Jeremy Grant last year, Torrey Craig especially, where Jokic will have the ball in the flow offense and he'll look over to one side and he'll see Gary Harris and he'll look over to the other side and he'll see Jamal Murray and he'll say, you know what, I'm going to run Jamal Murray because that is a better option for us to go to a dribble handoff if I go that direction. Sometimes he would look over and he would see Jeremy Grant and he'd see Torrey Craig on the other side and he'd think, oh my God, there's not a great option here. And, and sometimes, you know, you would see him hesitate this or that. The Nuggets, I think, very quickly and are already moving towards an offense where they look and he sees 
Murray, he sees Porter, and it's, oh, it's the same. Right now, there's not a lot of dribble handoffs with Michael Porter, but it's not because they're not there. It's just because Denver isn't quite getting to that part of their offense so far, or Michael Porter's not quite reading it. There's a lot of plays. Michael Porter, more so than any player on the team, likes to cut back door in those situations because he's a great cutter. He's so long, and he goes to that option a lot. If it doesn't open up a shot, if the whole team doesn't read it or if the defense doesn't bend, that pass doesn't get thrown and the ball immediately goes into the next series of decisions, the next part of the decision tree. So I think what people are seeing is saying is, oh, they need to run offense for him. That might come later when you talk about the whole philosophy. When Kevin Durant went to Golden State, Golden State had a system in place and they had to change it a little bit to accommodate KD. But for the most part, Steve Kerr, being perhaps being stubborn, wanted Kevin Durant to fit in what they're doing. And of course, famously, after a season or two, Kevin Durant started talking about we're too predictable. That stuff doesn't matter. In the playoffs, you need to have isolation. Yeah, I, I don't know if you guys remember this, but it became kind of a high-profile thing. I side with both guys on that. I do think at some point you do want to break from the high ball movement offense that you have and try to get maybe more similar uh, options. If you think about Golden State on one end with continuity offense, one action flows into the other, there's a decision tree and everybody's coming off of it. On the other end of the spectrum would be a LeBron James style offense or even further a Houston Rockets with James Harden style offense where they don't pass the ball. They have one guy who passes the ball because he's such a good player that one guy is talented enough to break down the whole defense without passing that everything collapses. I don't think there's a right or wrong way to play. I think you look at the pieces that you have and you say what offense works best for us. And as good as Michael Porter is, as and, and I think will be as an isolation, let's run this play for him that gets him the ball on the block and everybody clear out. As much as I think he's good at that, I think he's even better and going to be even better in the Jokic offense. It's just about him learning the game at a high enough level that he's naturally finding himself into those actions and the team is starting to trust him more and more. And this is a process. I know guys want this to happen right away, but it's already happening. And I think it's a reason why Michael Porter over the last two games has actually started to score a lot. On the Notebook episode on the Locked On Nuggets podcast that I did for today, I talked about how Jokic is actually learning, in my opinion, from watching him, learning to live with Michael Porter not knowing what to do and trusting him more, letting him bring the ball up court more. Even when, like, you, you guys can always remember there's times when, when Jokic would want to bring the ball up the court and if, like, Michael Porter, like, blows him off, he'd, like, touch his head or touch his nose and kind of get frustrated. Jokic, there was a lot of times where either he would do that, like, call for the ball, Michael Porter would shrug him off, and he would just be like, whatever, sure, go, like, go for it, I'll go set a screen, like a, a, a drag screen or something, and they would go immediately into an action. I know Jokic doesn't want that. The Jokic-led offense is really good, but he's understanding that, hey, maybe for Michael Porter, this is, again, my projection of what, what's going on with Jokic because he is giving him the ball a lot more. They're running more dribble handoff action. They're finding each other in those in those circumstances more within the natural flow of the offense. And I think what Jokic is, is needs to learn if he is not in the process of already learning is that Telling Michael Porter and not giving him the ball when he's out of place, that's one way to teach him. Another way to teach him is to let him make those mistakes and like, you know, okay, you're going to run an action that's not smart. Let's do it. But through that, you know, you do it less and less. That's the key. Rather than every time you make a mistake, you get pulled or every time you make a mistake, I get frustrated, this or that. Like, okay, we just have to live with it. Make the, um, you know, make lem lemonade out of the lemons that you're handing us. And over time, those will become fewer and far between. And through that, you'll start to find your spots better. So it's a great question because I think that the Nuggets are going to be better served once they integrate him into the offense better. But I don't think that means changing the offense. I think that means as much about Michael Porter figuring out where he fits and where to pick his spots and how that offense works as it is anything. And just one sort of aside on this. According to Cleaning the Glass, the Denver Nuggets starting lineup with Will Barton in the, in the lineup is now in the 98th percentile of all five-man units. Not of all teams, of all five-man units in the league. That's an absolutely absurd statistic. That They have been number one for all this time, and I think they're the fourth most used lineup of, of all lineups in the NBA, so it's not like it's small sample size. This is as big of a sample size as anybody, and they're in the 98th percentile, a 123 offensive rating, which means 123 points per scored per 100 possessions. Michael Porter, if you just swap him in and pull out uh, – Will Barton, that number drops all the way to 113 on a smaller sample size, about one-fourth of a sample size. So automatically off the top, we can just say that Michael Porter trying to fit in at this very moment isn't where the Jokic offense is working. It's not just working. It's working at this elite level. 
Michael Porter is going to be better than Will Barton, ultimately, but he has to learn how to be Will Barton-esque. I know people are cringing when they hear this. Learn to be Will Barton-esque in terms of learning to pick his spots, learning where everything happens within the flow of the offense. And once he does, I think that number will stabilize and go a lot up. So for people that think you need to change and, and change up what the Nuggets offense is doing, it's number it's in the 98th percentile for a reason. And that, as it currently sits overall as an entire team, they're the third best offense in the NBA. And this brings me to the second question from Eric. So that was the longest answer I'm going to give you on all of this. But the second question kind of segues very nicely into it. Eric asks, and Eric, by the way, big DNVR subscriber, has. Uh, I, I know that he just got a bobblehead because we posted this on Twitter, a bobblehead of him wearing DNVR gear. And I had never been more jealous in my life of anything. He has a bobblehead of himself and he's wearing a DNVR hat and the bobblehead and a DNVR shirt. Like, holy crap, that is the coolest thing ever. But he, gets, he asked this question, who is MPJ's career comp? Not whose game he emulates the most, but who he can model his path to career success slash failure. And I love this question because my take is different than what most people say. Most people say, you know, I've heard, um, you know, obviously Kevin Durant because their bodies are very similar. I, you hear Tracy McGrady or this or that. I actually think his best path, best path towards stardom, and none of this is a one-to-one comp, but his best path towards superstardom is Clay Thompson. He is more dynamic than Klay Thompson because he has a little bit more like off the dribble, you know, like game. The, just the fact that he's six foot eleven makes him more dynamic. But Klay Thompson, you look at the Nuggets offense and you look at the Golden State Warriors offense. Well, Curry and Klay, two of the best shooters in all of the NBA, but they were also two of the absolute best and remain two of the best off ball movers in the NBA. They have a handle, especially Steph Curry. They have an off the dribble game, but they know that when you have a great passer and they had. Uh, they have Draymond Green. They had Andre Godalo, who's a great passer. They had Andrew Bogut. Jokic is like all three of those guys combined, plus plus some. Great passer. When you have a great passer, the more quickly you can process and move off ball, the more you're going to get shots. And with Michael Porter's jumper being, I mean, he's shooting 47% on six threes a game. I think there's only one player in the NBA, and that's Paul George, shooting a higher percentage that is taking at least as many threes as he is. Just That just tells you like how hot, uh, Michael Porter shooting has been, and I don't think it's like, I don't think he's running hot. I think he's a 45% three-point shooter. I know people are going to say this is crazy. This is why I'm so high on Michael Porter. He's not as dynamic off the dribble as, as Kevin Durant. He's really, in my opinion, not di- as dynamic as a, like, versatile scorer can do all these different things. But guess what? There's one skill set that is more important than everything else when it comes to scoring, and that is shooting. And as great as KD is, I think Michael Porter might be a better shooter, especially a three-point shooter. I think he's a Clay Thompson-esque three-point shooter who also has more of a, a little bit more, um, he's a little bit more dynamic, but, um, you know, he, he's going to be able to go off the dribble a little bit more. You're going to be able to run more isolation for him and just trust him. You remember, I think Clay Thompson famously had that 60-plus point game, and he only took 12 dribbles. I, I think Michael Porter's going to take more than 12 dribbles almost every single game he plays. But I do think that he can get a majority of his shots off of elite off-ball movement and off of going into his shooting motion just really quickly off of the catch. And in that, he can score 30 points per game or, or more just off of playing off of Jokic. In some ways, it's like giving you know the best quarterback the best wide receiver. It, it, it just can work so well even if... Uh, you know, Michael Porter maybe isn't going to have the ball just to, for everybody to clear out. So to me, that's his best comp. And at six foot eleven, and with his athleticism, the thing that's lost from a lot of people on Michael Porter, in part because he doesn't always use his athleticism, but he certainly uses it on his jump shot, is that he elevates like nobody else in the NBA on his jumper. So in, on, in addition to being six foot eleven, in addition to being you know a guy that has like a quick trigger, meaning he can go into shooting motion quick. It's not like Paul Millsap has like the slowest, maybe Bull Bull, he's seven foot two, but you watch his release, it's so slow, it takes forever that guys can kind of close out on him at least a little bit. With Michael Porter, he goes into that shooting motion so quick and he jumps so quick. It's funny to say this, but they're quick, there are quick jumpers and, you know, some people like jump and, and land fast or whatever. He jumps really quick, gets to the peak of his jump and just hangs there on his jumper. So, all of those things combined to make him this guy that once he masters the off-ball game, he's going to be an elite, like, Steph Curry-esque gravity player. Kyle Korver, only with isolation game and taller and more athletic, like, all of those things. So to me, it's not some of those more on-ball, do-it-all do it type players. It's going to be more like Klay Thompson. And then, of course, he's got the rebounding aspects to him. Um, you know, he's just got so many other little pieces to him but I think that I think is really cool. 
We'll hit our first break here. Uh, on the other side, though, guys, I got like 20 more questions to get to. Those two, I think, they're my, about Michael Porter, and I think he's the one that's most interesting, so I spent a little bit of extra time on him. But I got some great ones coming up. First, I want to tell you about Hassle Cattle Company. You guys know this. Hassle-free meats. This is blue-collar Wagyu because it is delicious, fantastic, but it's also affordable. This is the every man's like uh, special cut meats. Hassle Cattle Company offers smoked sausages, New York strip, beef, bacon, Wagyu Frank without any fillers, two jerky flavors, original and sweet and spicy. Uh, they've got all kinds of good stuff. And then, you know, you can order it right now. H-A-S-S-E-L cattlecompany.com using promo code DNVR10 for 10% off of your order. Uh, and if you order anything over $2,200, you get free shipping. They have, so when you go on their 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 website, they have these like packages. So it's not like you just order a steak or whatever. I, mean, I think you can, but they have these deals where it's like, okay, eight steaks or eight of this type of cut, four of this type of cut or whatever, mix and match. And then they ship that to your, right, right directly to your door in a refrigerated box. And then you're able to put that in your freezer and, and you'll have meats for the year if you want to order that much or meats for the month, whatever it is you want to do. And I just highly recommend it, guys. It's, this is not the kind of stuff you get at the, the grocery market, the low lower shelf stuff, the leftover stuff. This is the, the premium stuff. So you're going to want to check them out. I highly recommend this company. I think they're just too cool. I also want to tell you about DraftKings Sportsbook. You guys know the presenting sponsor, football. Big game coming up. I don't know if you guys have heard about it. Uh, DraftKings is the official daily fantasy partner of Super Bowl 55. They're bringing back their golden ticket giveaway with up to $55 million in prizes up for grabs. Business, biggest day of the year for sports gambling. You want to download that app now. $55 million in prizes up for, get, uh, up for grabs. All you have to do um, to get your share of these huge prizes is enter DraftKings free Super Bowl prediction challenge. Once you submit your picks, you'll get a free instant prize up to $25,000. It's like... You know, you sign up for something, you automatically win right out the gate, and then you have chances to win more things. Um, and if you have the most predictions correct, you could win the top prize of $1 million. So download the app now, enter the free prediction challenge, answer questions like who will score last, and boom, get ready to make it rain. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to its players since 2012, so they know a thing or two about big paydays. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code DNVR to enter the free $55 million Super Bowl prediction challenge. Everyone gets an instant prize of $25,000 just for playing. Use promo code DNVR now and enter the free $55 million challenge. Terms and conditions and eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Back here on the DNVR Nuggets podcast, doing a mailbag edition. I'm Adam Mades. Really good questions here. Um, Want to remind everybody, if you haven't already, rate, review, this podcast on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts, wherever it is that you get your podcast, rate and review. It helps it push us to the top. You know, we've actually gotten some, like, uh, I, I know people love listening to the show, but we've actually haven't gotten a lot of, of reviews lately, and we could use, I think we're at a four and a half star rating. We'd love to get up to a five star rating. We're very proud of what we do. If you don't like us, send me a message. Hit me up on Twitter. I'm very approachable, guys. Shoot me an email. My email's in my bio. If you guys, are, if there's something about the show that's bothering you or you don't like, let me know about it. We want to uh, provide the best Denver Nuggets coverage to you uh, and, and all of our fans. So hopefully you are liking what you're, you're listening to, and you can go ahead and throw us that five-star rating and review and leave us a little note there. Let's us and other people know what it is you like about the show. The homie Chris Morley, he asked, one interesting development about Mason Plumley leaving and Hard Rack being so raw is it means Jokic doesn't switch out of the game on defensive possessions and at the end of close games. I never liked that anyway. Do you think the Nuggets are better off just keeping Jokic in those situations? Yes. No question. Yes. I've said this for years. I think that at the end of game, you know, people are always concerned about, we got to put our best, most athletic defenders out there. What you want out there more than anything else is your five smartest players more than anything else. You know, of course you want to be, have guys match up position by position as much as you can. And you want to have your defensive guys, but more than anything, you want to make guys, you want guys out there that just don't make mistakes. Jokic rarely makes mistakes. He's one of the smartest players in the NBA. He sees what's coming. He can scream and communicate. And especially we're talking about late, you know, five seconds on the clock, this or that. I want him out there every single time. And I agree with you, Chris. That has been one like hidden little sneaky benefit of Plumlee being gone, as Jokic didn't have to come out for some of these dumb substitutions. Alec Gwynn. 
asks, how have you seen the Nuggets fandom grow during the Malone era? What are any differences between now and just a few years ago, if any? I think this is a great question. Of course, Alec is the moderator over at Reddit, which is probably the largest congregation of all Nuggets fans because Reddit just brings everybody. They have the power to like tank all economies and everything else. They have it's it's wild how large Reddit is and the subreddit itself. Congratulations, everybody, on passing 100,000 uh, subscribers. I saw that the other day. So he knows this answer as much as anyone, which is why I think it's kind of funny him asking me this, but you know, he, he has one window into Nuggets fandom. I have another. And what I would say first to, to set the table for this is that Nuggets fans are so fragmented. And I think this is one of the great failures of the Nuggets organization. This transcends owners. This is not a Stan Kroenke thing, although it is a thing that I think the Kroenke organization and KSE has sort of continued and furthered even, or not really furthered, but has continued in their time here, is that you have Denver Nuggets fans who are diehard Doug Moe, Alex English Denver Nuggets fans, and then they fell off, and they never really came back. Or maybe some of them, you know, kind of like the Matumbo era, but then they fell off. And then you have the Carmelo era. And I know a lot of these, these are the Gen Xers, you know, the older millennials like myself. I'm 30, what am I, 30? I always forget. I think I'm 37. 37 years old, you know, guys like me that like, you know, bridge that gap a little bit. But a lot of people my generation, they they identify with the Carmelo, Iverson, J.R. Smith, that era more than they do this one. Not all of them, but some, just some. And then you have people maybe a little bit younger that identify with this one. And of course, there are through threads. I hear it all the time. I get people saying, hey, I've been a fan since Dan Issel. I've been watching this team all these different years and, and this or that. And I think it's cool. So this is not to say there's nobody. But I'm saying there are little pockets where you get stops and starts. And I think the Malone era is unquestionably one of those eras where a bunch of new fans have come on board. And I think that's what's cool. I saw a question on actually on Reddit the other day where somebody asked, What's it like? What was it like watching Jokic in the early days? And then I saw someone comment like, "It was pretty unremarkable." What? Unremarkable? Are you crazy? Watching them in those like 2016-17 era Nuggets, the only thing that was unremarkable was the fan base was so small. But anybody that was actually paying attention to, during those days saw that Jokic was special. Saw that there was something special brewing. Like Gary Harris was looking great. Jamal Murray was really raw and young early on, but he was growing into a great player. Like it was anything but that. So how I would say it, it during the Malone era is one, it has been a steady stream of excitement. I think. The Malone era sort of coincides with the digital media era, which is really interesting. I've talked about this with my one of my favorite guests, Dr. Travis Heath, about this, that you know, when he was covering it, bloggers, podcasters, these didn't, ex they didn't exist. You're really reliant on the local news stations. And when I say local news, I'm talking about like nine news is 10 o'clock. Uh, you know, I want to catch sports, the sports segment tonight. It always comes on at 1020. I got to turn on my TV to catch that. You know, you were reliant on very few outlets to get it out there. What happens right now is, and we're seeing this, not just in sports, we're seeing this across all platforms everybody can provide information and hopefully the cream rises to the top, right? And we're getting the best of the best. And we, this is our hope for DNVR. We don't come from a traditional format. Nobody, most of the people at DNVR were cast offs, couldn't get jobs at the places we desperately were hoping to get jobs for. So we started our own thing. And I think what you get is you get all these different voices and that creates a competition that allows for the best voices, in my opinion, to sort of rise to the top and create new and, and even more rapidly evolving coverage of how the nuggets are covered. So I think that's another sort of de defining trait of the Malone era is that if you would have asked Malone when he came into what's, you know, how is this team going to be covered? He would have had no idea that there would be all these, you know, a bar and you know, all these different weird little outlets and blogs and podcasts and all this different stuff. Um, but the fandom itself, I would say Nuggets fans are just back. It's hard to say that because Pepsi Center has been closed, but I, and, and like Altitude is going through their thing, what makes it so difficult for fans to watch. Altitude and Comcast, I'm not trying to take a side in the dispute. It's just a fact of the matter that most people have to stream and there's a gate of entry to try to, to watch them. But all that stuff aside, people are excited about Nuggets fans and it's growing and the bandwagon's getting bigger. And people that were skeptical of Jokic and Murray and all of these guys for the longest time, way longer than they should be, have all kind of come aboard. And now they cheer on this team much more similarly, similarly than that they did the Carmelo era and that they just believe in it and they're hopeful that it's going to win. So that's been the cool thing. It's grown. People have gotten more confident and there's just so many different ways to watch it. Chill Ducey, do you think Malone is a doesn't play rookies coach or do you think he's just had some particularly raw rookies? Little bit of column A, little bit of column B. One of the things that's so great about Denver, and San Antonio had this for 20 years in the Tim Duncan era. Like Tim Duncan and Greg Popovich, 
you have a smart superstar, it requires smart co-stars. And the one thing that young players typically, though not always, one thing they're lacking is the IQ of the game, the feel for the game, the, the intelligence, the thinking of the game. So I think it becomes a little bit more difficult to break into a rotation. But also, Denver has had so many good rookies that they've just found that are above value. Usually your best, most immediately playable players, they go in the lottery. And then after that, you know, maybe you find one here or there. So part of this is just natural. Denver has a deep roster and, you know, it's hard to get in. That being said, I do think Malone is quite a doesn't play rookies type guy. I think it's him. I, th- I, I meaning I think that is a little bit of a trait of him that he doesn't like to like to go there. And part of this we understand. They have seven new pieces, many of which are new into the ro- you know into the rotation. Facundo Campazzo is playing. PJ Dozier is not a new piece, but he's pretty new. Michael Porter, he's a big newness to this team. You got Jamichael Green. You've had Ar- Isaiah Hartenstein. There's enough of the people are trying to fit into this roster that to say, Hey, let's add RJ Hampton to that list. So let's add Zeke Naji guys who clearly are going to be behind mentally for the game. Maybe they have the talent, but mentally they're going to be guys that make those mistakes and just adds one more variable into the punch. Um, you know, so it's understandable why Malone doesn't want to do that. That being said, I do look at these next string of games and I think number one, I would love one of Isaiah Hartenstein or, RJ Hampton to see a lot more minutes because as guys get injured, as guys need to start resting, that's your best opportunity to add one person to the puzzle. Jamichael Green was a piece of a puzzle they had to add to. Everybody had to learn something new and adjust their game, but I think everybody's used to him now. Michael Porter, I think we're a couple weeks away from being able to say, okay, now everything's comfortable. There's still some bumps ahead, but before long, he's going to be another piece where it's like, okay, we're through that hurdle. Compasso already starting to get a little bit more through that puzzle. Like, all these P.J. Dozier's out. They'll have to re- reintegrate him when he gets back. But I think Denver, as the season goes on, more and more opportunity just through injuries and also just from everybody getting more and more comfortable with each other to start adding one more piece. And uh, I, I hope that happens You know, a- a- as the season goes on. I definitely think Malone's a little bit stubborn for that. You look at last year in the finals, you have the Miami Heat. Well, Tyler Hero's basically playing all these minutes early on in the season, and then by the, by the postseason, he was a major asset to them. I don't think Denver's ever going to get there. And I think that's a little bit because of Malone and how he likes to coach and, and just all the challenges he has and the one, not wanting to add more of them. But I do think that, you know, it would benefit them if they were able to say, if you were able to tell me that one of Hartenstein, RJ Hampton, Zeke Naji, one of those three guys, or Bol Bol, one of those four guys became a larger piece that by the playoffs, he was like a Dozier level player. I, th- I, I think that would be really encouraging for Denver and would help them out. Nazem Khatri asks, what do you think is the key to getting a favorable whistle in the NBA? I've answered this one before. I think the number one thing is athleticism, and this is why Jokic doesn't get a favorable shooting whistle. It's very difficult to referee athleticism, speed, power, uh, explosiveness. Russell Westbrook picks up an enormous amount of fouls, and a lot of that is just because when you are the quicker player, the most athletic player, the guy that's that you know hits first or or, or whatever, you make it you make things difficult on the referee, but you also just kind of, you know, naturally defenses get thrown on their heels when you're slow and finesse, you know, maybe there's a little bit more contact. Things look a little bit lighter, like softer or whatever. And it's just hard to get it. So to me, it's, that's what it is, is athleticism. And I think that Denver, you know, could probably use, I mean, I'm very curious to see RJ Hampton as he kind of develops. He's such a, a fast player. I'm curious to see if he ends up becoming one of those players that just draws an enormous amount of fouls. Same goes for Michael Porter Jr. It'd be interesting to see. Mark Pond, we all love to see the five young players get a couple minutes of run at the end of the Heat game. Which of those five, and he's talking about Marcus Howard, RJ Hampton, Vlatko Chanchar, Bol Bol, and Zeke Naji, do you think is most likely to make an impact in the playoffs this year? This is another great question. End of that list, Vlatko Chanchar and Marcus Howard. Um, Marcus Howard can shoot. I think everybody looks at him and goes like, why can't he play this or that? He's just so tiny, and he was always, as a two-way guy, he was always going to be a guy that's like, you're planted at the end of the bench. You know, it's going to take extra for him to work his way into the rotation. I just don't I don't see that happening, especially if we talk about a playoff where it's so easy to sort of pick your matchups. I don't see from now to then when either of those two guys become major contributors. So that leaves us to Hampton, Bowl, and Najee. I think number one on that list is probably Zeke Najee for the sole reason that he fills an immediate need. You know, when everybody's healthy, R.J. Hampton would have to leapfrog one of Gary Harris, Jamal Murray, Monte Morris, Compazzo, PJ Dozier. I don't think, and Will Barton. I don't think he's going to 
he'd probably have to leapfrog like two of those guys for a playoff rotation. I don't think that's going to happen. And it might even be better for him, to be honest with you. I hope he gets a lot of minutes this season. But I hope that at, when the playoffs arrive, my my expectation is that he won't be able to leapfrog those guys. Bull Bull, same thing. Like, I still believe in the upside with him. I wish he could get more minutes in the regular season. And his upside is such that if he makes a leap that I don't expect him to make, then maybe he is a real asset in the playoffs. But he just looks like he probably needs a lot more seasoning than what he's going to get uh, throughout the course of the season. Zeke Nagy's interesting because... You know, I don't know what his ceiling is as a player, but he feels an immediate need in two ways. He can shoot the ball. I think he's a very good shooter. And he really, we haven't seen a ton of this, but he moves his feet so well along the perimeter that I think he could grow into being a guy that can handle some of your more mobile fours. Because he's got the, he's a big bodied guy that he might be able to go out there and be a guy that, you know, can guard. Uh, this, these are the extreme ends of the spectrum. People are going to laugh, but that you could throw on a LeBron or, or an Anthony Davis. If you did that right now, he'd foul out in 30 seconds. But could you imagine him a scenario happening where, you know, maybe there's an injury and he moves up in the rotation, he gets 20 games under his belt, and that's really good experience, and then he just sticks around in the rotation, and then by the playoffs, he's seasoned enough that you can trust him 5, 10, 15 minutes of a game to go out and guard the other team's, like, good scoring option. You know, I think that's possible. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think it's that crazy to expect. For Carmelo Anthony, for example, Denver gets matched up with Portland. Can he go out there and guard Carmelo Anthony against bench units? Like, maybe he can. Like, he could be a good defender that you could count on to do that. So he would be my number one. I think probably Bull Bull is number two. It's a long ways away just because he's so raw. And then RJ Hampton, number three. The other two I just don't think have, have much of a chance. Another question here. Got to go a little bit, little bit quicker here. Uh, Popex, Bogdan, my buddy from Romania here. Is this the 2021 playoff roster, or do you think the trade will take place before the deadline? If so, which player do you think has the most realistic chance to be moved, and what kind of player will the Nuggets target to acquire? Well, the second half of this, who will they target to acquire? Denver doesn't ha- – I still am really worried about Denver's wing depth. Like, I I think they need one more defensive player, a Mo Harkless type, you know, somebody like that. And in a trade, I know everybody thinks about Bradley Beal and talks about all these other ones, but to me, Denver could become a significantly better player if they added one wing defender that maybe it's not very sexy. Like, Mo Harkless, I don't think anybody's out there just clamoring for Mo Harkless. But you add one more guy that you say, you know what, 15 minutes per game, he can go out there and he could guard – uh, you know, he can guard some of your high-level offensive wings in a playoff series. I think that would go a long way. Who would they trade? You know, as the season goes on, especially as Gary starts to look better, you start to think about guys like Will Barton, um, you know, maybe a P.J. Dozier. Compazzo is an interesting one because, I, you know, as much as I think he can play, when you start getting into a, ro- a playoff roster, do they need that many guards? Um, you know, maybe one of the young pieces could end up getting moved as much as we all love Bowl and Hampton and Najee. Like if you have an opportunity this year and you feel like you're good and it's only going to cost, you know, Barton and, and, uh, RJ Hampton, you know, those two pieces to get a really solid defensive wing upgrade. I know people have clamored for a Covington or something like that. Like if you can get a player that's, you know, somewhere close to that, a, a guy you really trust to be able to be a defensive specialist, do you try that out? You know, maybe Denver tries to do that. So that would kind of be my option, my, my, my opinion. And my answer to that is, is it better than 50% chance? Denver, the Tim Conley era, they just don't make trades. They don't make very many, you know, big moves. But I do feel like this year maybe is more likely than most. So I would call it maybe 45% that they actually pull the trigger and get it done um, because I think Denver needs it. I, I, I think as this season goes on, they're going to look around and say, yeah, we probably need a, a, a wing defender. Unless Najee or Bowl or somebody really – or even, you know, Michael Porter Jr. just really makes a leap defensively that we don't see coming. Uh, take a break. We'll do rapid fire on the other side. We still have like 15, 10 or 15 more questions. I'll try to answer those all a little bit quicker. First, I want to tell you about Green Mountain Dental Group. You guys know them. They have been a longtime partner and sponsor of DNVR. Great family-owned uh, dental practice and just a local, local company. You guys know I, I love that. Just 10 minutes from downtown over there in Lakewood, and you know the deal. If you sign up to get a cleaning x-ray and exam, you receive a free Sonicare toothbrush when you go in. And once you go in once, you're going to be wanting to go in every six months because that's how, one, it's important to your health and it's great. I, I don't know about you guys, but eye doctor, you know, foot doctor, uh, dentist, regular practice, like if you don't 
This is a part, if you don't have a regular of those and you have health insurance, you need to start sorting this out. You need to get with people you trust. And Green Mountain Dental Group, of course, is our highest recommendation here for this because you want to get to know somebody by name, somebody that knows you by name, that is really taking care and making sure all the things are going right with your dental hygiene. So check them out. They're a great partner, longtime DNVR partners, Denver sports fans, family owned, all the good stuff. And then I want to tell you about Strava Craft Coffee, another local company, another Colorado uh, company, and they have the new subscription service. 20% you save every single time when you do the Strava Craft Coffee subscription. We know a lot of you guys have taken advantage of that one-time code where you use DNVR uh, to get uh, the promo code DNVR20 to get 20% off your single order. But if you do the subscription model where they just send it to you every month, then you get to save 20% off every single order. And of course, Strava Craft is the CBD-infused coffee that's great tasting. It's locally it's a local company right here and then of course that cbd offers all kinds of auxiliary benefits including you know uh, relaxed temperament back pain joint joint pain uh great for arthritis all those different things so check them out strava craft coffee i got a million different versions of this question if bradley bill becomes available who should the nuggets trade for him and then some people ask even specifically jamal murray or michael porter jr you know, this is a really tough one. Number one, if Bradley Bill becomes available, should Denver trade for him? It, it's tough for me to say yes to this, even though it's crazy. Bradley Bill is averaging, do you guys realize this, 35 points per game. He is averaging 10 more points per game than Jokic. He is averaging, what What would that be, 50, 16 more points per game than Jamal Murray right now. And he's doing it on efficiency, albeit on a very bad team. So would should Denver add him? Of course. He's such a great player. For me... I don't know that I love a roster that features Bradley Beal and Jamal Murray and Jokic as your core. And then you just got to find a three and a four, which by the way, this is a league. It's a wing league, a small forward, power forward league to, for your best players not to be in those positions is sure a heck of a counter punch. And then you're talking about none of those three guys are elite defensive anchors, meaning, oh, you don't need to add. No, you would have to add really, really high level defensive players along them. You'd have an incredible offense, no, no doubt about it. So I don't know that I love the idea of trading Michael Porter and going with two guards in that way, especially when you talk about, well, Denver this year, if you just look at their roster this year, well, then who plays small forward? Is it Will Barton starts at small forward? That's a, Now you're really talking about not having any defense out there. Do you start, you know, Michael Green? I mean, they don't really have any options there. So Bradley Beal, if you traded him for Michael Porter, to me, doesn't make sense. Even though Michael trading Michael Porter you know you better have an idea of what you get out of Jamal. Michael Porter is still an enormous uh, mystery. If you did trade Jamal Murray, you'd have to include significantly less in the trade because Jamal Murray is so great. You might not have to add anything. Maybe you just add a few pieces. I, I really don't know what Jamal's value is when you talk about Bradley Beal, I think, is the better player right now. Jamal Murray has five years left on his contract. So if you're Washington, you get five years to kind of try to figure out whatever it is you're going to build. So it makes sense from that standpoint, but maybe you have to add something else in. I don't know. The thing is, on paper, Bradley Bill, Michael Porter Jr., Nikola Jokic, that's that's an even better team than what Denver has now. But what Jokic and Jamal Murray have is chemistry, five years of it. I think Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic have the number one chemistry in all of the NBA between any two players. I don't think there's a single player that or a single duo that has better chemistry than those two guys. And they it's been a process for them to earn it. Could Bradley Beal get to that level? Maybe. He's a good player. He's a great player. But my hunch is, with how unique of a player Jokic is and how much Jamal Murray, for as great as he is, one of the things I get frustrated at on him is that he's too passive. But the flip side of that is superstars that have never played with other great players and they don't understand that, hey man, you've got to like be patient and trust other guys and take a step back. And who knows if Bradley Bill would do that. I think he's a winner. I think he wants the right things. I don't think he's a bad like a, a problem or a me first guy or anything like that. But who knows if he would like really understand the nuances of the game. So my answer overall arching is I probably would stay away from Bradley Beal. Me personally, I would probably prefer to trade Jamal Murray. But I say that rather than Michael Porter. But I say that as somebody who understands that I'm wanting to take the big swing. And there's the upside for it is higher, in my opinion. The downside of it is significantly lower. And it, it's very possible Bradley Beal could arrive. It just doesn't fit the way you kind of expected it to. And then your team is kind of just screwed over and you have to reset after a couple of years. So 
That's my take on it. I expect Denver will be one of the teams, and this will be one of the questions they're going to have to answer. I know a lot of people, myself included, are frustrated with Jamal right now. His numbers look identical to what they have last year. I mean, he's averaging 19 points per game. I think he's averaged 18 for the last two years, so he's up one point per game. Numbers efficiency almost looks identical you know, from all over the court. So I think people are frustrated, but it's important to remember that what matters most is how these guys play at the biggest moments. Jamal Murray and Jokic look great in fourth quarters when they're playing together, and they look great in the playoffs. And um, Jamal maybe not right now not looking great. I suspect before long Jamal's going to be on a run where Nuggets fans are like, oh, yeah, I wouldn't trade this guy for anybody, and you're going to be back to those great feelings. The homie Miroslav asks, against which teams in the playoffs do you see Millsap playing heavy minutes? This is such a good question. And it, it sucks because it's a good question because you look at it and you go, man, Millsap has not looked great this year. And in the playoffs, teams tend to put more versatile, you know, stretch four, but big bodied stretch fours out there. So the Lakers, well, you know, maybe. I do think that he can guard Anthony Davis in a spell. Like he'll play some there, but I I mean, it clearly didn't work last year. That's not your answer. I think he's he's a low minute usage guy in that at best. You look at the Clippers, well, they have the ability to really stretch you out. And he's losing a step even off of that. That being said, he was part of some of the big rallies last year. And like Jamal Murray, Paul Millsap showed up and knocked down shots when he when he needed to. So another one that I would say, I don't feel great about it, but maybe. Utah Jazz? I don't think so. I don't think that's a series for him anymore. You know, unless Utah starts playing favors and Gobert a lot, which I don't think they're going to do, you know, maybe then you could play him. But even then, actually, no. I think you would rather go strength for strength on that one and, and kind of be a mismatch and, and try to stretch them out. Um, Portland, I don't, Denver would beat Portland with or without Paul Millsap, so I don't think it necessarily matters. Um, you go over to the other side, Golden State and Phoenix, I don't think it necessarily, eh, it might matter a little bit there, but the answer is no. I, I, I don't, I think Jermichael Green is probably your guy in both of those series. San Antonio, yes, okay, I think that one, maybe you do. You got Aldridge out there, maybe he goes out there. I don't, again, I don't know. Memphis, phew, probably not. <laughs> Another one, probably not. And Dallas, certainly not. So, more not than than four, in my opinion, and that's a real thing that I think you're going to start hearing more and more conversation on. Right now, Paul Millsap is playing 20 minutes per game. It's not very many, 21 minutes per game. It's not that many. But what's going to happen going forward is I wonder if Denver starts looking around and saying we could use – this is why I say they could use another three because then not only that, it allows Michael Porter – he's actually averaging 23 minutes per game. I, I was wrong by that. You start looking around and you might, you might start thinking – we want Jermichael Green playing 30 minutes a night at power forward. We want Michael Porter playing the rest of them, you know, at power or a lot of other minutes at power forward. And there's just nothing for Millsap there. That's a real possibility. Chris English asks, wouldn't Pascal Siakam be a much more logical trade target for Denver than Beal? Elite perimeter defender best used as a third scoring option. And Toronto getting Michael Porter Jr. makes sense. They need scoring and they already have other defenders. Michael Porter Jr. does make sense because he is a scorer. Another guy that makes sense is Jamal Murray. Why? Because he's from Toronto, or he's from Kitchener, outside of Toronto. So I think either one of those guys make an interesting combination there. You know, Pascal Siakam is like miniature Ben Simmons. He's making $30 million, so the price point isn't that different. But he is a guy that I think brings a lot of the defensive versatility you need to sandwich in between Jokic and and uh, Michael Porter Jr. So there is some a reason to think that that could be him. He's paid like a max guy, and if Denver has maxes and Michael Porter, Siakam, and Jokic, I just don't know if that, that necessarily makes sense. If you do trade Michael Porter, and now you have maxes in Murray, Siakam, and, and Jokic, maybe that makes a little bit more sense but I still think it makes it a little bit difficult to fill out the other two spots. Here's one thing I will say, though. Denver's in an interesting spot because I feel like they've never surrounded Jokic with great shooting, and they've never surrounded him with great defenders. Pascal Siakam is a great defender. So you add him to this list, and maybe you add a couple more defensive players at the two and the three, and you just trust Jamal and Jokic. Is that enough to get it done? Are you still a top 10 offense if you do that? I don't know the answer to that. I have so much faith in Jokic that I think maybe... Um, and, and Siakam has some talents that he can work with. I think giving him a guy like Jokic that can space the floor so much. You know, he hadn't Marc Gasol. He looked really good. He doesn't now. He looks kind of bad. I think you give him Jokic, he's going to look good again. So I do think he's better than what he's looked like this year. So maybe that that is a recipe for success. But given that he's a $30 million contract, I don't think those conversations are going to pick up now. That's more of a trade I could see Denver making next summer at the earliest, but maybe like two years from now. Same goes for Toronto. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Zach Pensack, why isn't RJ getting more minutes considering the lack of impressive output for Faco? What do you think Malone starts easing him into the team? Well, right now, he's 
it was always going to be the case that all of those guys, RJ, Zeke, Bowl, they, they were only going to get opportunity when injuries first happened, and then how they handled those opportunities would determine if they stayed in the rotation or not. Uh, RJ Hampton, so right now, you know, he's a rookie. He looks like a rookie. He gets lost on some basic plays. I have a play cut out that I, I might do an episode of the list tonight. Let's see if I have enough time. I'm, I'm not sure just yet. But there's, there are plays where he got beat um, on basic inbound plays, and you could see the Heat targeting him. Like, ooh, rookie's on the court. Let's run these basic actions. We know he's going to take the bait on. He did, and he gets pinned. So there's things like that. But I will say I really like R.J. Hampton, and I've heard that Michael Malone especially loves him. That might be more of a long-term love. Like, hey, man, this is a player. I can't wait to work with him, and this is a great learning year for him. But this is his opportunity. I suspect over the next, like, seven games – I don't know how long P.J. Dozier's out. We'll just say the next two weeks. If he's out the next two weeks, I think R.J. Hampton gets pretty consistent minutes. And if he impresses, then I think that there's a chance those minutes can go up and up. And there's going to be other chances, too. Like, people forget it's a 72-game season. People roll ankles. You know, people people pull hamstrings. People do little little things. It sucks. I wish it didn't happen. Even this year, you think about it, COVID. You look at teams like Miami and, and Memphis. Uh, teams have been ravaged by COVID. Denver's been lucky that it's only, I put air quotes here, only Michael Porter. But they could, um, you know, there, it's very possible that Denver could have a, a, a string of six, seven games where two or three players are out. And that's the opportunity that's going to arise for RJ Hampton and the rest of the guys. Um. Jeff Brink has a good question here. What do you see as more important for team success regarding Jamal Murray? Consistent scoring or all-around game, meaning passing, boards, defense, all that stuff? And does the rise of Michael Porter Jr. change that at all? Well, it does change it, no question, because there's no question that last year what made Jamal Murray great was he was scoring like Michael Jordan. He was scoring 50 points twice in a series, 40 points another couple times, or 40 points one other time, 35 another. That's what made him so great. And I think that Jamal Murray... What makes him special is that he is an incredible scorer. I think he can be a good point-ish guard, you know, combo guard. I don't think he can be a great... He's not Chris Paul. He's not one of those guys with, like, this super high IQ. He's a good pick-and-roll player, but I don't think that he's going to be a a pure point guard. But as Michael Porter Jr. gets better, you know, I do think it slides a little bit in the other direction of, okay, really being able to understand and pick your spots even better. But I still think that his talent... You you always want to take advantage of, of a player's you know, biggest strengths. It would be like Jokic. If you had another player that was, like, good inside, you wouldn't say, well, now Jokic needs to focus on his spot-up game. Like, no, you're still going to play through Jokic. Like, he's still your number one guy. And Jamal Murray, as much as Michael Porter offers that other, and I think ball movement and trusting each other is going to become even more important because you want that ball to find Michael Porter more often in the in the offense, Jamal Murray still needs to be a killer and in that killer headspace um, mentally as a scorer. And if you can get Michael Porter there and you get Jamal there and Jokic just sort of quarterbacking everything, you're, you're in a great place. Walter Gray, if you could add any player to the Nuggets who has one elite skill, what would that skill be? I mean, it, it's hard to narrow anything down to one skill because the, the thing I would say is like shooting, but you know, then you say, oh, then add J.J. Redick. And I'd say, well, he's kind of small. Like, you want shooting with length. You want another, you know, another, you want Duncan Robinson or something like that. Because I do wonder what Denver would look like if you gave Murray, Porter, Jokic, one other, like, elite knockdown shooter, uh, Chris Middleton or some type of player like that, what would they would look like? And um, so that would probably be it because I think it's the easiest answer. But everything else is sort of combinations of skills. Somebody says Buddy Hill. Dennis Kirk here says Bunny Hill. He's an elite shooter. He is. I don't think he's what Denver's missing, though. Uh, similar like to Bradley Beal, but worse. You're, you're adding more shooting um, to a team that already has a really good offense. Unless you're not – Buddy Hill, you're not trading like Michael Porter or Jamal Murray for, so you're just adding him to the roster. And, you know, then you're talking about some elite, elite shooting and scoring, which I think would be exciting. But Buddy Hill would have to really lower his usage. Um, you know, he'd have to be the fourth option, in my opinion, out of all those guys. And then the last one I'll take for today. Actually, I got a couple here. I'll go fast. Is MPJ most impactful when coming off the bench? Right now, yes. Going forward, no. I mean, you know, I I, I think that the best, and this answers another question that Ambitious Monster Robot asked. The closing lineup last night, Jamal, Gary, MPJ, Green, Jokic. Um, is, does, he asked me, the, the question is actually, did it feel like when everybody came back in Avengers Endgame? And my answer to that is, have you listened to the show ever? Do you guys know? I have no idea what that means. Like, what I know that that's in reference to the Marvel uh, Avengers, but I have no idea what the, the moment in the movie because I don't watch any of these dumb movies, so I have no idea what we're talking about when you ask me that question. What I will say though, and why I brought it up, is Jamal, Gary, MPJ, Green, uh, Jamichael Green, and Jokic. That lineup was a plus fourteen in the last game. I talked about this a lot on the Locked On Nuggets podcast. So you're gonna want to go check that one out as well. But 
he uh, that lineup was a plus 14 in like eight minutes or something in, in that game. Maybe it was a little bit more than that. But it was just absolutely murdering uh, the poor Miami Heat. And I was surprised to see it had only played a handful of minutes prior to last night. To me, that's Denver's best lineup. I hope to see it a lot. And so should Michael Porter come off the bench? No, I think he needs to start before too long. I do think in the short term he is more impactful coming off the bench because the bench needs scoring and it allows that first unit to get minutes. It just allows for an easier rotation, but screw it. You don't need that. You need your best punch to work itself into being its your knockout punch by the playoffs. And Denver's knockout punch to me is Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., Jamichael Green, Jokic, and then probably Gary Harris. The, the fifth spot, Monte Morris, Gary Harris, P.J. Dozier, you know, RJ Hampton, who knows? Like you could you could kind of mess with that. Will Barton even, you could mess with it. But those four guys, absolutely. Um, why does Malone prefer Composo over Hartenstein? This is from Dan Hernandez. I don't know. I was kind of surprised by that as well. You know, now with PJ Dozier out, maybe it makes a little bit more sense. Maybe not. I don't, I don't really know. Um, Composo, I, I will say I think Composo has been significantly better than what it seems like the average person thinks. He does bring some value to this team. Um, that being said, Isaiah, Isaiah Hartenstein is is an underutilized piece right now. I think Malone likes playing a little bit smaller with that second unit, and you can't really blame him with the results. They're on a five-game winning streak since Jermichael Green has come back. Hartenstein's mostly been out, and over that time, Denver's 10-4. and four, So the results speak louder than any other stat or anything else that you could point to, at least in the short term. Um, but I, I really can't tell you why he likes Hartenstein over Composite right now. A couple games back, he said one night it'll be him, one night it'll be Hartenstein. Well, so far it's only been Composo, so who knows? But again, the one thing I'll say for the, any Hartenstein fans out there, there's going to be injuries. There's going to be fatigue. I think Paul Millsap could use a couple games off, and Hartenstein would be very much relied on. He's going to get his chance. I don't think that he is done having opportunity, so I think he'll get another chance. Um, Colby asked, name every team right now that you think Denver has a better defense than. No. Denver's the 18th best defense in the NBA. They've slowly been creeping. I think they're a top 10 defense over the last 13 games. Denver's sneaky been good defensively lately. They started off just absolutely abysmal, but lately they've been good. They go up against San Antonio tomorrow night. If they have like another munder, uh, they might be a top 10, uh, like a top 15, top 12 defense by the end of tomorrow. In fact, if you look at like 10 to 20, it's all separated by less than a point per 100 possessions. So um, name every team. I can't. There's too many. Last one here, Keisha. Do you think we can be title contenders with Jermichael Green and MPJ as bench players or should they be a starting role? Kind of answered this one already. I, I, I think that ultimately those guys are going to have to play a lion's shares of the minutes, whether that's starting or whether that's something else. I, I, I personally would love to see them start just because I want... I want to speed up the process. If they're going to, if you, Malone loves to play his starters a lot of minutes, I wouldn't mind seeing those guys playing 14, 15 minutes per night because I think that'd be a real knockout punch. The only question is, does your bench then become too depleted? And I think in the short run, the answer would be yes. But, you know, maybe there's an opportunity for somebody to step up in that bench to evolve and become a little bit better. Thanks so much for the questions, guys. This was fun. Got through a lot of them, a lot of good Nuggets talk. I appreciate it. And I can't wait again tomorrow. Pre-game show, 30 minutes before tip-off. Post-game show, immediately after. Head on over to our YouTube page. Great news. My goal by the end of January was to get to 8,000 subscribers. I did it! We did it as DNVR. We're over 8,000. We've, we've already passed it, but um, you don't want to miss in on the action. If you love this show, you're really going to love our post-game shows just because they're a lot of fun. Uh, we have them for Avs going right now. Avs have been doing a great job with their post-game show. Nuggets, uh, and then in-season, Rockies, Broncos. we got all that stuff going on. So we want to check that out. Head on over. Meet us in the lounge for the pre-game show, and we'll see you there for the post-game show. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you then. Craft Coffee, another local company, another Colorado uh, company, and they have the new subscription service. 20% you save every single time when you do the Strava Craft Coffee subscription. We know a lot of you guys have taken advantage of that one-time code where you use DNVR uh, to get uh, the promo code DNVR20 to get 20% off your single order. But if you do the subscription model where they just send it to you every month, then you get to save 20% off every single order. And of course, Strava Craft is the CBD infused coffee. That's great tasting. It's locally, it's a local company right here and then of course that cbd offers all kinds of auxiliary benefits including you know uh, relaxed temperament back pain joint joint pain uh great for arthritis all of those different things so check them out strava craft coffee